Well, hey, good morning, everyone. I'm John Schmidt. I'm the senior pastor here at Centerpoint Fellowship. And joining me this morning is Brandon Wildman. He's our student minister here. So, Brandon, you want to say hello to everybody? Hey, guys. Good morning. Good to see you. All right. Um, today, we are continuing on our second installment in this series entitled Why. Last week, we looked at some reasons. Hey, why do we trust the Bible? I mean, we quote from it all the time. And I think we gave you some very helpful reasons. If you haven't seen that, you can go on our website anytime at centeringlives.com and look it up. Today, we want to answer another question. There's an outline in your church, in your bulletin that answers the question, why do I need to go to church? I mean, that's a good question. And so we want to welcome those who are worshiping with us via video at Pike Road and in Wetumpka and elsewhere around the web and West Side. We're glad that you're with us today. So, uh, but we want to always give ready answers for our faith, including this question. So here's what Peter said. He said, always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. And Brandon, that's our challenge this morning is to give people good answers so we can answer people without getting upset, without getting angry, but just say, these are some good reasons. Yeah, absolutely. Why don't you pray for us? Sure, let's do that. Father, we just love you, Lord. We thank you so much for today. God, we thank you for the privilege to, uh, to be here in this room, God, and to be uh, broadcast over the internet as well, to the other sites. We thank you so much. Father, we, we just pray right now, most importantly, God, that you would move us out of the way and that you would speak to us. Lord, you empower, you move. We thank you so much for your presence. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. I have a lot of times where I'm meeting people for lunch or other things. I'll meet somebody else, and they'll introduce me to a friend, and they go, and they come up to me and say, well, you need to tell this person to go to church. And I go, thanks. That's not awkward. Okay, it's very awkward. And a lot of times people even follow it up. Well, I do have a question for you. And so I want to give you answers with the way we thought this would be the most helpful is if we would tackle five objections that... I hear all the time, you may have heard some of these, but five objections I hear all the time where people say, hey, I'm really not into church and here's why. So, and then we'll kind of give you an answer to the objection. So here's the first objection. This is in point B in your outline here. If you need a pen, just raise your hand. The ushers will bring one to you. The first objection is this. I hate religious hypocrisy. I mean, I hear this a lot. It's like, look, I'd go to church, but the church is just filled full of hypocrites and there's just too much religious hypocrisy. I can't stand it. And my answer to that all the time is this. Great, because Jesus hates religious hypocrisy too. I mean, this is a really good answer. Jesus hated that. Authentic faith to him had nothing to do with hypocrisy. What sorrow awaits you, you teachers of the religious law, you Pharisees, you hypocrites, whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Outwardly, you look like righteous people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. Jesus hated that. And what he challenged us with is the first life application here is that we must authentically live out our faith. Look, if somebody tells you, man, I hate religious hypocrisy, that is something that we hate too. Jesus hates that. And it's something that we want to stay far from. And Brandon, this isn't just something for adults. This is students have a a knack for smelling out phony, right? Yeah, absolutely. In a student's life, they they can smell phony a mile or longer away. They, They can definitely feel out when something is not, you know, real. Uh, that, it, that it is phony, fake. It's not authentic. They want, they want truth. Okay, but at the same time, they struggle with it too because even with social media, that's not always authentic, is it? Well, yeah, when you're good at one thing, it typically means you're good at the opposite thing too. So not only is it, is it then they can, fake, they can see phoniness and fakeness and things that aren't authentic, but they can pretend to be that too. But it's not just teenagers. One thing with social media is that it helps us become something sometimes that we're not. And in reality, we're the opposite. Yeah, we can take 14 selfies looking for the right angle to post. This was me just casually relaxing. Yeah, it's like 14 poses from this side. (laughs) 
maybe from back here because it doesn't show the triple chin for myself. And, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, it's like 45 different everything. Push here, you know, I think the hips in, pull back on the neck, makes you look thinner. I'm, give, I'm exposing all the... I was going to say, right that's now. oddly specific, and I'm going to move on. Okay. Uh, yeah, follow me on Instagram. Yeah, I'm getting really <laughs> uncomfortable here. Uh, so, First Peter 2, be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors, then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they'll see your honorable behavior, they'll give honor to God when he judges the world, live as free men, but don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil, live as servants of God, show proper respect to everyone. And if you read that's Peter also, First Peter 2, the reference at the top of the page is First Peter 3, honor, respect, honor, respect, honor, respect. If we're going to live authentic lives, it always begins with that, right? Absolutely. And, and one of the best ways to do it is honor and respect yourself first. Hmm. And then you can live that with other people as well as you're honoring and respecting them. And not pretending to be anything more than you are. Just saying, yeah, I struggle with that too. And we can listen to people. A second life application is we can hold each other accountable. Let the godly strike me. It'll be a kindness. If they correct me, it's a soothing medicine. Don't let me refuse it. And that's Psalm 141, and it's part of the reason for we have, why we have small groups. We have small groups for adults. We have small groups for students, right? Absolutely. We, we pattern what we do in student ministry to be just kind of like a microcosm of what our overall church is. So we want students to be in connect groups. One of the reasons we want them in connect groups is so they can have that community around them of similar um, age. We, so we do it into grades. And also we want to break them up into the same gender so they can be going through very similar avenues in life that we can relate to them. You don't want a 7th grade boy talking with a 12th grade boy. There's, they're miles apart from each other in maturity and life experience. So we want to keep those very specific so they can be authentic in those relationships. So our goal here at church is to be authentic and accountable. We even have structures, small groups. You're going to hear a lot about those. We're forming them now for the fall. One of the goals is so that we can have relationships, real relationships with people who hold us accountable so we won't be phony. So if we're going to pray, we actually pray. Absolutely. If you're going to pray, if you're going to ask, hey, I'm struggling in this one area, then these people are going to come alongside you. And actually, again, accountability is not a bad thing. Accountability is a good thing. So it's someone that on a weekly or daily basis can go, how are you doing in this area? You said you wanted to grow here. How are you growing? Can I help you grow? Yeah, and that's a big part of our church. And so the way I'd answer it, if people say they hate religious hypocrisy, well, so did Jesus. We want to live authentic lives, and we even have structures to hold each other accountable. Come join us. Don't use that as an excuse to stay away. In fact, come join us. Okay, another excuse that people give or an objection people give for going to church is, I don't want to feel judged. Um, people say it this way. Oh, man, lightning would strike me if it came in. Oh, people would make fun of me. People wouldn't accept me there. I, any way you want to slice this. Uh, people say this all the time. Well, here's my answer to that. Well, good. Jesus didn't, doesn't want us to judge people either. Jesus hates hypocrisy. Jesus doesn't want us to judge others. Brandon, would you read that reference from Matthew 7? Sure. Do not judge others, and you will not be judged, for you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. Yeah. Click's a problem in student ministry? It can be, absolutely. In student ministry, schools, work, wherever, you, you can get to the point where you just find, you know, the, the us for and no more mentality a little bit. Um, and, and what we want to do is create a culture where you, that's not the case. It can happen. We want to attack that early. You know, that's a strong word. But we do want to move into that so that our students aren't just focused on themselves and just a few of their best friends. It's including so many others. Yeah, and the good news is that we all grow out of that by the time we're 18. So we'll just move on. No, we don't. Hey, you can have cliques in a junior high. You can have cliques in a neighborhood. You can. 
You can hang out with all the people who look just like you. All right? Here's what James said about this. By the way, there's a life application in this. We must not show favoritism. We must not. Listen to James. My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? For example, suppose someone comes in your meeting dressed in fancy clothes, expensive jewelry. Another comes in who's poor, dressed in dirty clothes. Give special attention and a good seat to the rich person. You say to the poor one, ah, you go stand over there. I'll sit on the floor. Well, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? I mean, God doesn't like it when we show favoritism at all. And James is calling people out on this. Now, this is something you were telling me, like, with social media, this has really reached an interesting level that I wasn't even aware of when people go shopping. It's kind of funny when you see teenagers sometimes that will go into a dressing room and go shopping. One of the things they will do is they'll put on clothing, and, of course, they get the right pose. You know, they do all that, and then they take pictures of themselves, and they wait just a few minutes to see how many people are paying attention. If they get a lot of likes or they get a lot of dislikes, that will direct if they buy that piece of clothing or not. And if they wear something and somebody posts a negative comment about it? You wear something and something's commented awful, you'll never see that outfit again. Mom and Dad, you may have spent $100 on a back-to-school outfit. If it was made fun of, they'll never wear it again. And if you think that only that again stops with teenagers, it doesn't. I greeted someone uh, a while back where they came into the church. I've never seen them before. I welcomed them. I said, so uh, this is your first time here? They go, well, it's our first time to come into worship. And I was going, okay. And they said, no, but the woman said, but she'd been coming and sitting in the parking lot for a couple of weeks. And I go, why are you sitting in the parking lot? She said, I just wanted to see what everybody was wearing to see if I'd fit in. I mean, she wanted to know if she'd fit in. And she said, it doesn't matter to you here, does it? I went, no. You can wear blue jeans. You can wear a suit and tie. You can wear high heels, whatever you want to wear. I mean, that's fine. Our goal here is that we want people to come to Jesus and listen. And we don't, hopefully we aren't making a distinction. We're not showing favorites, choosing favorites. But if you flip your outline over or open it up, there's another life application here, not just no favorites. We must intentionally reach out to people who are far from God. I mean, one of the cures to a click mentality is to always be looking for people who are far from God, just like we used to be before we came to know Christ. Something to pray about. Something we want to challenge ourselves with all the time because this was what Jesus did. A story from the life of Jesus, Luke 19. Jesus entered Jericho, made his way through the town. There was a man there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector in the region. He'd become very rich, and he tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed up a sycamore fig tree beside the road. For Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus. He called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest at your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down, took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He's gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I'll give half my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I've cheated people on their taxes... I'll give him back four times as much. And Jesus responded, Salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. I mean, are there people, apply it to your ministry as well as the church as a whole, are there people out there who would love a chance to be a part of us? Absolutely. But but they're not sure if they feel welcome? I I, I totally agree with that statement. You go into the high schools, junior high, um, businesses you talk to people all the time that think there's this there's this sign at the door that says perfect people only 
or I'm not good enough. I've, I've, Brandon, I've done too much. You don't know the sins I've committed. Mm-hmm. I hear that one often as I counsel with teenagers. You know, you don't know how bad I am. And I, I have to respond, I don't care how bad you were. It's what Jesus can do in your life right now. And are you willing to surrender that? Put everything else aside. Yeah, there's constantly people that are disqualifying themselves when Jesus has wants to clothe them in his righteousness. Yeah, and so one of the expressions you'll hear at center point is a phrase we throw out a lot. It's called arrows out. It just means, hey, where are the arrows focused? The arrows are focused out. Somebody reached out to me and told me the good news of Jesus. Well, am I praying about that? Who's God put in my path? A neighbor, a classmate. I mean, this doesn't have to just go with students. This can go with any of us. But what if our eyes are always focused in? Hmm. Then people won't feel welcome. And you know, so funny also, another person that was coming in, I asked them, we were at a, um, a, a small group social, and I was talking to them about how they ever got involved in Center Point at the first place, and another friend had invited him and all that stuff. I said, well, why'd you stay? And they said, well, no offense, but it wasn't your messages. I went, I'm offended. Anyway, no, I did not say that. I just said, well, no, no offense taken, but what was it then? And they said, well, I got to tell you, what made all the difference in the world was I felt welcome here. I got greeted on the sidewalk. I got greeted by the usher handing me a bulletin. I sat down, and some people right next to me, they greeted me. They even invited me to grab lunch with them after the worship service was over. Never felt welcome like that in my life. I said, man, I want to be a part of a place where I belong. I mean, what if we welcomed people? What if we kept the arrows out to our neighbors, coworkers? We're going to practice doing something right now. We're going to ask you, we do this at the beginning of the service. We're going to do it right in the middle here at all of our locations. We're going to ask you to stand up wherever you are and greet two or three people around you. Give them a hug right now and say, good morning. Glad you're here. Just do it right now. Shake hands. Give them a hug. Do it right now. Good job. I love how loud it is. Like that quick, too. (laughs) Smiles. I know. Okay, okay, we don't want you to like each other that much. That's good enough. Hey, Brandon, what did you see from up here? I saw smiles. I saw hugs. It, it, It was this... Love energy. I don't know if that's a real word or not. But anyway, it was it was that's brand new for me too. That was really great to see that. Just how quick and how quick, John, that it happened. And how quick it just it went from dead silence. We're all honed in and listening, and then all of a sudden, boom, we're up, we're loud, and we're focused on the person next to us. Just because we shook a hand or we hugged a neck and we said good morning or whatever. Yeah. If you've ever wondered, hey, I think that person over there that's sitting next to me, they've had too many people be nice to them this week. I'll offend them if I say hello. You're wrong. Yeah. That's never the case. And if we could just keep this, keep our arrows focused out, oh my goodness, what a difference it would make. Here's a third objection. I've been hurt and disappointed by people in church. And this is real. And people can tell you a lot of stories about this. It's all true. And so people say, well, what do you say to that? I've even had people challenge me. So, I mean, that seems indefensible. And I go, well, no, I agree with you. I'm certain that's happened. But here's my answer. Well, I want you to understand what the church is. The church is a family. It's made up of redeemed sinners adopted into God's family at all levels of spiritual majority. And we have to understand this. Brandon, would you read uh, Ephesians 1.5, please? God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. And this is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. 
I'm going to respond to that. It got, gave God great pleasure to adopt Brandon Wildman into his family. How does it make you feel? It, better than I would have felt the other way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's so encouraging to know that before I even took a breath, he wanted to adopt me. Yeah, I mean, think about this. And so often we think that church is a meeting we go to or a place with a steeple on it. No, the church is a, it's a, it's a family. In fact, if you take your outline and flip it over to the back side where the discussion questions are, you'll see a little diagram here. And I just want to point this out. There's a guy, um, real life discipleship, a ministry, uh, a fellow in Idaho named Jim Putman. He came up with this and it was one of the most helpful things I've ever seen. One of the things that helps us understand what the church is, is this simple little diagram of where people are spiritually. Before people come to know Christ, they're lost. I mean, they're confused about things spiritually. We just talked about the fact that Jesus came to seek and save people who are lost, like Zacchaeus. And so you have a healthy church, you're going to have people inviting their friends to come to church. Hey, come check this out. Come be a part of this. They'll invite them to worship. They'll invite them to a small group. They'll invite them over to play cards in the evening. Why not? This is what we do. Well, then a person comes to Christ, and then a big false assumption is this, that after a person comes to Christ, within one hour, they instantly have a total grasp of the Bible. They've got all their theological issues worked out. They have no emotional baggage, and all their bad habits magically disappear. And that's what's happened to all of us, right? In one hour. Well, of course not. In fact, we'd all say, no, I'm in process. Well, of course you are. And so people go from being lost to being a spiritual infant. Well, you know what's true about spiritual infants? Spiritual infants don't know how to feed themselves. They don't know how to read the Bible. They don't know how to talk. They don't know how to speak well. They might use bad language. They don't know how to act or behave. They don't. And so if you said, I was really offended by what somebody said to me, how could that happen? Well, the same way it could happen, hey, we had an infant, a baby in our uh, family, and the room smells bad. Has anybody ever had that happen with an infant in the room? Yeah, it's happened. They can raise a big stink. Well, there's a parallel spiritually. Beyond that comes a child, the child stage. They grow up a little more. They know how to feed themselves. They know a few things. But what's one characteristic about children? What one person does the child think about all the time? Himself or herself. North pole through the head, south pole through the feet. The whole world revolves around me. That's what it means. That's the way a child thinks. It's the way a spiritual child thinks. This is my favorite song. This is the row I sit in. This is where I park. And if anybody takes that parking space, then this church doesn't love me. <laughs> and you'd be amazed at how easily we can be offended when we're in this stage. We act childish. Everybody understands that. But what's important is to grow out of that. And then comes the young adult. A young adult is like a kid wanting to drive. Hey, I want to learn how to be involved. Let me serve. Let me sing. Let me lead. Great. But they are green. They don't know how. Somebody has to show them. Well, who shows them? The people in the last quadrant here. Spiritual parents. These are people who aren't coming just for themselves. They're not just volunteering. They're helping someone else grow. And Brandon, you have some wonderful leaders in the student ministry. Who are, yeah. This is the way you describe them, right? Absolutely. One of the things we do, you know, is look for those initially that, that have an idea of where, where they are and where they, what they want to be sharing. We help sharpen those, help train, but then also realize that we have some that aren't quite here to shit and we want to help move them along. And this isn't always about age. Spiritual, being a spiritual parent isn't, you know, you're 37, you've got life figured out. Um, we, we actually have some teenagers that are reaching now 
that have reached the spiritual parents phase and they're trying to reach down to, to find those others in their scope, who can they influence? You could easily have a teenager who's discipling someone else. Absolutely. Why not? Of course you can. Now look, if you're thinking, John, well, that's a nice diagram, but is there any scripture that supports it? Yes. I want you to look at 1 Corinthians 3. If you flip back to where we were in the outline. Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people, spiritual parents we put in there. I had to talk to you as though you belonged to this world, as though you were infants in Christ. I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger. And you still aren't ready, for you're still controlled by your sinful nature. You're jealous of one another. You quarrel with each other. Doesn't that prove you're controlled by your sinful nature? Aren't you living like people of the world? Well, look, people who are jealous and quarrel with each other over here, they're going to offend people. We're going to offend each other as we grow up. It's going to happen. So I tell people, I'm sorry that happened, but here are a couple of life applications to deal with that. First of all, we need to forgive people who offend us. That's part of being part of a church. And as I become a spiritual parent, and by the way, on that diagram on the back, you can draw a couple of arrows because the goal is to move people around. As I become a spiritual parent, it's just like a parent when a child makes a mess, when a child spills things, you clean it up. When somebody doesn't know what they're doing, you help them out. Let's try it again. You forgive each other. Here's the scripture. You must make allowance for each other's faults. Forgive the person who offends you. Remember, Lord forgave you. So you must forgive others. Brandon, anybody ever show you how to do stuff when you were growing spiritually? Constantly. Anybody ever have to forgive you? Constantly. My wife especially. There you go. <laughs> but this is what's so important. Brandon mentioned the key word there. One other word that's important here is family. Remember we're adopted into a family where the parents help the kids grow who are all different ages. And this helps us. And we even do this with our kids. We even make our kids apologize to each other. Say you're sorry. Sorry. And it just warms the heart. It's wonderful. Anyway, but you understand why we do that. We need to do that in church. Hey, somebody offended me. Well, then let's go and talk it out. Say you're sorry. Sorry. Okay. And you go, come on, John, that wouldn't help. Yes, it really would. Let's move on. Because we're trying to help each other grow up. It's the next life application. These are the gifts Christ gave to the church. Ephesians 4. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church. That's Brandon's job description. That's my job description. That's the job description of our site pastors at each of our sites. Their job is to equip God's people to help them grow up. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith, knowledge of God's Son, that we'll be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we'll no longer be immature like children. The whole goal here is to help people grow up through volunteering to serve, through being a part of a connect group, leading a connect group, going on a mission trip, serving on a worship team. I mean, there's all these avenues, but the goal is to help each of us mature and grow don't miss this. It's so important. So of course people are going to get offended along the way. That's part of being a family. I have four sisters and one brother, and believe it or not, we got into a fight twice. Oh, no, I'm just joking there. Not twice. Often. Did you ever fight with your siblings? Constantly. Do you love them? Most of them. Okay, there we go. I, you know, you're a terrible... Why am I talking to you, man? Okay. <laughs> Next service, the answer is yes. Okay, anyway, we'll move on. <laughs> fourth objection 
I don't see any benefit from joining a church. I mean, what's the benefit? And these are legitimate questions again. But it goes back to this. Okay, first of all, let me give you the answer. I'd give two answers to this question. First of all, being a part of a church gives me purpose. It gives me purpose. I'm not just getting saved so I can go to heaven when I die. So I got saved when I'm 11. I die when I'm 81. I had 70 years of just pursuing hobbies, watching football, eating good food. Yeah, I have no idea why I'm here. Here's why we're here. Because as we grow up and become spiritual parents, now we take other people around again and again. Or we help somebody become, grow from an infant to a child or a co-worker or somebody we're in school with only for a year. We help them go from here to here. Now I have a purpose. Brandon, would you read the Great Commission there for us? Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You know, when we were talking about this, preparing for this, you said what jumped out of that scripture for you was always the teach uh, these disciples that you've yeah. made, teach them the same things that were taught you. Why? Because it's important to understand that we have to teach this. It's like you said earlier, you're not, when you, when you pray to receive Christ, you just don't get imputed into your brain uh, the mind of Christ. We have to continue working toward that, uh, taking captive every thought to make it that of Christ. Second Corinthians uh, ten five says, and so you have to teach this. We have to be expecting, uh, you know, that when we when we are when we come from law, from death to life, as the way about that we are infants, we grow to children, we become young adults. That this is the process that we're all going to go through. Not only are we going to go through it, but the person beside us and around us is going to go through it as well. Yeah, I mean, what a wonderful purpose. The time I'm here, I can help people grow and mature. I could be a part of changing someone's eternal destiny. I can, you can, because God has placed us in these amazing positions where we can show people his love. Now, look, they're not going to buy into any of this unless we do these things. We have to be authentic. We have to hold each other accountable. We don't need to show favorites, and we're never going to reach out to lost people if our arrows stay in. But the goal isn't to go to church. The goal is to be the church. I want to be the church. Would you say that with me? I want to be the church. One more time. I want to be the church. Well, this is what the church looks like. Church looks like a family. Well, we're all in process all the time. Here's another answer to that question, by the way, about I don't see any benefit. Well, here's another benefit. Being a part of a church gives me support and encouragement, protection. In the margin, you can write the word belong. I got a place to belong. I mean, who doesn't need that? Part of student ministry is, I mean, when your leaders are working with kids, kids mess up. Yeah, they do. What we happens? We, we restore them. We forgive them. We help them walk forward. We help teach them. The things, same things you've been taught. Absolutely. Yeah, listen to Galatians 6.1. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. Be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. I mean, no kid learns to drive with one lesson or by reading a book. You've got to go do this. They make mistakes. Children don't learn to stop being childish without throwing a tantrum every now and then. How are people going to learn to feed themselves if we don't help them? And when people make a mistake, when they offend others, 
We teach them to apologize. We teach people to accept the apology. We teach people how not to do it again. And this is a safe place. Man, I love it. I got a note from somebody recently, and they said they couldn't believe it, how much their connect group meant to them. And if one of the people in their family was going through a hard time, they said, I just can't tell you how much it meant to have people from our church who'd pray for us, and they just came and wrapped their arms around us and just showered us with love. This is so important. You know, John, it was really encouraging as well. We had one of our connect group leaders in our student ministry go through a pretty difficult time in their life recently and to go and to talk and to hear, yeah, the, the student was bringing this over, and then this other student was doing this, and this one was calling me, this one was texting me. And so, again, it's working in reverse, too. Yeah. So the, one that, the ones that we're leading are beginning to show us the love and how much they appreciate what we're investing into their life. One last objection. I don't have time. And, Brandon, we're almost out of time, so we we, time. this is fitting. Okay, this is perfect. Okay, I don't have time. I don't have time to go to church. I mean, that might have been fine for people in Bible times when they had lots of extra time, but not for me. But here's the way I would answer this. If people don't have time, following Jesus will always reshape our priorities. I mean, the truth is, all of us have 24 hours a day. Nobody has more. Nobody has less. We all have 24 hours a day. The question is, how are we going to use it? And by the way, when Jesus was uh, teaching in Luke 14, somebody shouted out how great it would be to be a part of a banquet in the kingdom of heaven. And here's how Jesus answered. Let me tell you what the kingdom of heaven's like. A man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to tell the guests, come, the banquet's ready. But they all began making excuses. One said, I just bought a field and must inspect it. Please excuse me. Another said, I just bought an SUV. I mean, I just bought five pairs of oxen. I want to try them out. Please excuse me. Another said, I now have a wife. I can't come. Well, that's obvious. Okay, but I now have a wife, so I can't come. Okay, but look, all these are legitimate excuses. It doesn't matter whether it's oxen or a tractor. It doesn't matter whether it's uh, land or you have other commitments. If I don't have time to follow Jesus, he's, Jesus said in the parable, the, the guy who put it on the wedding feast says, well, if these people won't come, go find anybody who will. Following Jesus is always a priority decision. And that's the last life application. We've got to give Jesus first place. Jesus first. And Brandon, if you'd read that reference. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross daily, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And Brandon, you're not just in ministry to other people's kids. You have kids of your own. Yeah, I do. I've got three kids, two sons and a daughter. And um, this whole business here, this isn't just something we talk about at your office. This no. is something you're putting in practice, right? Right. It's something we want to practice. I, um, I learned a long time ago uh, with my own children, it, and it wasn't the student pastor's responsibility to teach my kids how to follow Christ. It wasn't the children's minister to teach that. Uh, I, I believe it's their job to reinforce. Um, so one of the things, you know, my wife and I prayed about was, you know, how do, we, how do we teach this to our kids? And so I began a process of taking a Bible with my sons, and we retreat now. My daughter's not old enough to read just yet, but um, we're, fingers crossed, she will one day. Um, but we, we retreat, and we go grab coffee. We open the Bible. We read the Bible. We have journals, and we do that. And here, here's the two questions that I want to ask my kids that I also proposed to our students as well, and one of the things we're working toward perfecting, of course, is that, you know, you know, what's God saying to you? The only way you know that is by reading his word. And then the journaling is important because we can look back at that and go, what are you going to do about it? So if you can, if you can hear God's word, you can read the word of God and understand it, 
then you can begin writing out what he's saying to you and what your response is going to be. That's just two areas that, in my home, we want to do. And I'm not, I'm, goodness gracious, I'm not perfected that. I'm not 100% at knocking that out of the park all the time. But it's not going to be a priority to my kids if it doesn't become a priority for me to teach them that. And you can't teach them the whole thing in one weekend. No. No, we, this has been months so far. And we're, like I said, we're still, we haven't achieved anything, to be honest. So it's all about relationships here because that's what church is. It's going to take the rest of our lives. I, I can't tell people that, well, no, come to church. It doesn't take much time. No, Jesus is Lord of my life. And if he calls me to do something, then it's going to be the best thing, even if it takes time away from something that I thought was important before. So how would I answer the objection? Hey, the church is full of hypocrites. Jesus hated hypocrisy too. That's why... We want to make sure we teach lots about authenticity and we build structures in this church to hold each other accountable. Mm-hmm. If you're not a part of a small group of things, please get in one. This is one of the most enjoyable things to have people pray with you and hold you accountable so we can grow. Well, I don't want to be judged. Nobody wants to be. Jesus hates it when we judge each other. That means we don't need to have favorites and we need to be focused on bringing in people who aren't a part of us. But what about people who've offended me? Well, You can expect that if you join a church, offenses are going to happen. By the way, if you go join a perfect church, you're the one that's going to offend everybody else. Hate to tell you that, okay? Because I'm in process. You're in process. I am in process. Could we say that together, please? I I am in process. process. We're all somewhere here. And by the way, there's different levels to this. I might be mature in my finances, but I might be very childish with my temper or my tongue. You see how this can work. What would I say to somebody who says, but I don't get anything out of it. I mean, what's the big advantage? You have a purpose. You have a family where people can nurture you back and restore you when you fail and fall. And what, what better thing can I do with the rest of my life than be helping people grow and mature and reproduce spiritually? I don't have enough time. Well, following Jesus is always a priority decision. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I just I thank you for your word. It's our guide in all matters of faith and practice. And Lord, I just pray that we'll practice our faith in a real way. I pray that we won't offend people. And if we do, I pray that we'll apologize. But I pray that we'll also be realistic, that we're part of a spiritual family. That's part of it. I pray that we won't just focus on people who look like us and talk like us and hang out with us all the time. We'll focus on people who may be far away from you. Or just moved in the neighborhood and reach out to them. I pray that we'll be people, Lord, who live out our faith authentically. Don't pretend to be more than we are. Admit our faults. But deal with them. And get accountability. And Father, I pray that we'll help each other grow up and mature. Convince us of this, Lord. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.